All right, if you got your Bibles with you this morning, if you would turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 23 through 35 this morning. Thank you folks for that music this morning as we uh, worship the Lord together. I wanted to take the time this morning as we uh, uh, move through the Christmas season not to uh, just abruptly end it, but to remind us that there were some things that took place after the birth of Christ uh, as the days uh, were fulfilled. As a matter of fact, uh, the Scripture tells us that every male child, uh, there was to be an offering made unto them, And therefore, Mary and Joseph took their newborn son after the days of her purification all the way to Jerusalem there from Bethlehem to offer unto the Lord those things. And there at that particular point in time, we find that Luke reminds us that there was something brewing in the background, something happening that we want to look at today. So today I want to ask the question... Um, that Simeon may have asked even that day, what child is this? So if you've got your Bibles open to Luke chapter 2, I want you to stand with me as we honor the reading of the Word, and let's listen to the words that play out in this time when uh, Mary and Joseph meet Simeon. In chapter 2, starting in verse 23, it says to us, As it was written in the law of the Lord, every male that opened the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he up in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Lord, now letteth thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set forth for the fall and the rising again of many in Israel. For a sign shall be spoken again. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. As we hear the reading of the word of the Lord this morning, I want you to ponder the thoughts of what the scripture has told us that we hear from Simeon as he meets Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we hear these words, I pray that our hearts would be drawn to the fact that, Lord... We all need to meet Jesus. And Lord, how will we respond and how have we responded when we have met Him? Lord, today as we look to the Scripture and as we see the words that have been given unto us from Simeon, the servant of the Lord who sought 
to see the salvation of God. I pray that, Father, that our hearts would hunger to show others that very salvation, to make it known that the salvation that came is for all the world. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move me out of the way and hide me behind the cross today. That, Lord, the words that you have uh, given to us today would speak unto our hearts and unto our lives and would challenge those who have yet to come to know you to make a decision for you. And then cause those who have come to know you to be reminded that we must take the message of the gospel to the entire world. So, Lord, we ask today that as we take these next few moments to look deeper into your word, that you would speak to us and through us and then move us, O Lord, according to thy will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you and you may be seated. So I asked the question, what child is this? And what a good question it is. And, and, you know, we need to think about if Jesus were born today, would it be any different than it was those 2,000 plus years ago? We would like to think the answer would be yes. Many of us would say, oh yes, we would be ready for the Messiah. We wouldn't make the same mistake of turning away the Son of God. There would be room in the end for Him, we would confidently say. We would make sure that we found room. We would, we would make room even if we had to remove somebody from their own room. But I wonder, is that really the case? If Jesus were to be born in West Jefferson, would we really be ready for Him? But it is, it is that truth that we have to answer. We would not be any more ready today than they were then. If that were the case, churches across America would be full every Sunday morning. Seeking and, and looking for the coming of the Messiah. Preparing and being ready. The truth is... We are not any more prepared for Christ today than they were for Him in Bethlehem. So the, the critical question really is, why are we not ready? We have been given all the evidence of all the truth, of all that we need to know that He's come once and He's coming again. Why then are we so unprepared? Probably for the same reason they were unprepared. There were many different ideas as to when and how the Messiah would come and what he would look like. And so it is today that there are many different ideas of how that Jesus is going to come and, and what it's going to mean and, and what signs we're going to see it, and that we might even get the opportunity to prepare the night before. The truth of the matter is, just as Christ came quietly into the world and so suddenly into the world 2,000 plus years ago, the Bible says that He will come suddenly the next time He comes as well. If we are not prepared ahead of time, we will not be prepared when He comes. It seems as though that when we go back and read the Bible, and from the Old Testament all the way to the beginning of the New Testament we find that people weren't prepared for His coming. 
We see in Luke that Herod certainly wasn't prepared for his coming. He didn't know about this Christ child being born. And, and he was so confused that he even asked the scribes to come forth and tell him about this child that would be born king of the Jews. The scribes didn't seem to be um, uh, well aware. Even though they knew where he was to be born, they weren't prepared. The rich and the powerful of Bethlehem, assuming that there was such a thing in those days, don't seem to be prepared. They don't seem to be paying any attention to the young couple that showed up in Nazareth. The rulers of the the world never knew that he was born. Many never knew that he even lived or died. By the standards of the world, the birth of Jesus Christ was simply just a slight blip upon the radar of history. A peasant child born to a peasant parent. In Rome, they didn't seem to pay any attention to this new birth. In Athens or Alexandria, no one took note. Not even in China, not even in India, did they know a thing about the child. For the most part, the songwriter... Philip Brooks had it right when he wrote the words of the Christmas song that we sing so often. How silently, how silently the wonderful gift is given. He came silently, he came quietly, as quietly as a newborn baby ever has arrived. Without fuss or ruckus, without making a stir or announcing his presence, He came in the same way that all babies come into this world. Most of the world paid no attention. In the book of John, the Apostle John put it this way. He was in the world, and although the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. His own what? Think about it just for a moment. His own world, the very world that he created with his own hands, his own people, the very image that he created us to be like him, his own nation, the called out ones of Israel, the very people who should have been the happiest to see him, instead paid no attention to his coming at all. That's not the whole story. I mean, it seems as though that that's the story today, that there are so many that are going about life, doing life the way that they do, and when death shows up, they're surprised. They're shocked. The suddenness of death and and the, uh, the, the shortness of life. And yet, we need to be reminded that there are always those who are in the background, those that are seeking, those that are looking, those that are praying. And thank God for those. Those who are faithfully praying for God to send revival, to move and stir in the midst of His people. Those in the background looking for the coming of the Lord as they're on their face crying out, God, be gracious and merciful to your people who have lost sight of you. Even in these days, these days of Jesus' birth, there were those 
that had not lost sight of the hope of the coming Messiah. But there were those that were faithfully looking and anticipating and waiting. And we're introduced to a man by the name of Simeon. I like Simeon. We don't know a lot about Simeon, but what we do know, I really like. There's several things that the Bible tells us here about this man, Simeon. And, and when we think about it, Simeon was one of those that was, he was ready for the coming of the Lord. He was looking. And all the quietness and all of the apathy of the, of the land of that day, there were those who were still looking. Simeon, and another one in this particular text that we read on, a lady by the name of Anna, were longing for the coming of the Messiah. But I want to focus in on Simeon this morning. He had been waiting years. He had been looking for years for the Messiah that God had promised. And the Bible tells us that when he meets the baby Jesus... He knows his long-awaited prayer, his long expectations have finally been met. These verses tell us several facts about Simeon. First, it reminds us that he was a righteous man, meaning that he was constantly seeking the face of God. He was keeping himself open and in tune with the things of God. My friends, we need to be reminded that if we want to hear the voice of God, if we want to be led by the Spirit of God, we've got to constantly be checking to make sure our life is walking with the Lord, that we're in righteousness. Righteousness is simply, uh, the word just simply means being in a right relationship with God, meaning that we're confessing our sins daily, that when God reveals sins, we're changing the way we're doing things so that we're not continuing to walk in that same sin. Second of all, we find that he was a devout man. Simply meaning that that coming to the temple was not something that he did occasionally. It was something that he did regularly. He was devout and he was determined that he was going to continue to look day after day, day after day, day after day, even when he could look back and see there was nothing in the past, but maybe, maybe there was something in today. And so his desire to see the Lord kept him coming back to the temple day after day after day so that he would not miss the Lord. Third, we find that he was waiting for the Messiah to come. That's what waiting for the consolation of Israel really means means he was looking with long anticipation. He was expecting, he knew that God was faithful to keep his promises and God had given him a promise and he knew that God would fulfill that promise and he was waiting for it. Meaning that unlike so many of us today, we get discouraged when we don't hear from God, when we don't receive from God, and we get discouraged and we drop what we were doing and we go look for something else instead of holding on to the promises of God. It's time that we recognize that we need to wait. Wait with anticipation the coming of the Lord. And then fourth, he was a spirit-filled man. How do I know that? Because it says that the Spirit of the Lord spoke to him. 
and told him that he would not die, that he would not leave this world until he had seen the fulfillment of the promise of God. The Spirit of God was upon him. The Spirit of God filled him to continue to hold on to that promise. That's the evidence. And then fifth, and probably most importantly, he was eagerly waiting the imminent appearance of the Messiah. He didn't come with his head hanging low. He came to the temple looking around to see, God, is today the day that you're going to show me? Today the day that I'm going to see? He was excited because he knew his age was coming upon him, and he knew that it couldn't be much longer. He knew that it had to be just around the corner. And when you and I look at the things of the world today, it is evident to us, no matter what our age is, that when we look at how the world is playing out, we ought to come with the same expectation as Simeon and say, God, I know that you're coming soon. Maybe today. Maybe you're coming in the next hour. I want to be ready. The last part is so fascinating. The Holy Spirit reminds Simeon that, Simeon, you will not leave this world until I have fulfilled my promise in you. There's a funeral sermon that I do from this particular passage of Scripture and ask the question, when is a man ready to die? And Simeon tells us the answer when we have fulfilled all that God has called us to do. Simeon says, when I've done that, then, Lord, I'm ready. Simeon's first thought was that when he saw the child, he said, now I am ready to die. Sometimes we hear stories, and even I have heard these from people over the years, folks that are terminally ill, who have said to doctors, and doctor, I want to live to Easter. I want to see Easter this year. I want to celebrate the resurrection. And then when Easter comes and goes, they just slip off. I've heard others say that I want to see my child walk the aisle. If I can just hold on until I see them walk the aisle and then have the opportunity to walk their child down the aisle, and then suddenly they're gone. The truth of the matter is that there are many Doctors who have told the story over and over again that once the goal is reached, life is then complete. Death comes quickly. That's exactly grow up. He won't witness any of the great miracles that Jesus will do in his life. He won't see Jesus walk on water, feed the 5,000, or even raise the dead. Simeon will be long gone when Jesus stands before Pilate. The crucifixion is hidden to him, as is the resurrection. But it doesn't matter to Simeon that he won't see the end, because Simeon has seen the beginning, and that's enough. You see, for many of us, we say, well, boy, I, I don't want to leave until I see the end play out. Listen, if we see Jesus, that's enough. You see, because once we come to know Jesus, once we experience Him in the way that He wants us to experience Him, 
whether or not we see how this old world plays out doesn't matter because we have been given the ultimate promise that we're going to spend eternity with him. And see, that's what Simeon said. I may not see how it all plays out, but I've been given the promise that I'm going to be with the Father. So this leads us to our question for today. And oh, by the way, if you thought that was a sermon, no, that's just the introduction. The question that I want to look at today is what child is this? What child is this that lays in Mary's lap? What child is it that Joseph and Mary carried to the temple and presented unto the Lord? Notice what he says, Simeon says about Jesus. In the words that follow, Simeon tells us three important truths that we need to see this morning. See three truths that I want you to see about this child, Jesus. First of all, in verse 32, we find that He is the glory of Israel. In verse 32, Simeon calls Him the glory of Israel. But, But what does that really mean? In this baby, Simeon sees the fulfillment of all the hopes and dreams of the Jewish people across all of the centuries. To call Jesus the glory of Israel takes us back to the time of Abraham when the Lord said, I will make your name great and I will make you a great nation and through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. After that comes the reaffirmation to Isaac and then when the Lord has not fulfilled that promise fully, then to Jacob. Still later, God tells the prophet or uh, the leader Moses, the one day a great prophet would come and would be unlike any other prophet before him. Still later, God promised David a son who would reign on his throne forever. Still later, God spoke through Isaiah and promised a son would be born of a virgin and his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Still later, the prophet Micah predicted that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. For generations, the promises were repeated from father to son, from mother to daughter, from family to family, from the older to the younger. And Jewish children were taught to pray that they might see the appearance of the Messiah. Some Jews thought that the Messiah would be a great political leader who would overthrow Rome and restore uh, restore Israel to its rightful place in the world, while others thought that the Messiah would be God Himself. Still others expected a second Moses or a second Elijah. So there was a lot of confusion mixed with a general sense of expectation. We know that God's going to come, but we're just not sure how He's going to come, when He's going to come, and what form He's going to take. And so it was that when the baby was born in the manger in Bethlehem, the world went unnoticed. The event was only spectacular to a few that God had selected. And we've looked at those stories through the last month. By the way, I told my wife the one advantage of the corona this year was it's the first year in 20 
years that I've been able to preach every Sunday in December without having a Christmas play or a cantata or some other uh, event take me from the pulpit and tell the story. It's been great. It's been a lot of fun this year to be able to tell the story of Jesus and his birth. And as we think about the, the confusion with expectation, there is even today that same confusion among the church as to how Jesus is going to come and when he's going to come and, 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 and what we need to be doing in preparation for his coming. But after all these years of waiting, Simeon reminds us that all of God's promises have come true. That's what Simeon means when he calls Jesus the glory of Israel. As the song says, the hopes and the fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Simeon reminds us that God keeps his promises. He fulfills his word. And he sent his son into this world. And just as faithful as God was, though it took centuries to do, it is that we need to be reminded today as the church of Jesus Christ that God still keeps His promises. And He promised when He left that just as the angel said, just as you have seen Him leave and go to the heavens, one day He will return again and claim that which is rightfully His. He'll not come back to a babe in a manger He'll not come back to a cross. He'll come back as the one victorious and He will set the world in order and He will claim that which is rightfully His. But let me remind you that we must be Simeons. We must be ready. We must be righteous. We must be looking. And we must keep our lamps trimmed and our hopes alive. That's what Christmas is all about. Reminding us that there is still hope for today. The second thing that we find that Simeon reminds us is not only is he the glory of all of Israel, but he tells us even deeper that he is going to be and is the Savior of the world. Oh, how wonderful news that is. Simeon calls him a light of revelation for the Gentiles. Here is a completely new thought. You won't find this in any of the other Christmas songs. Now, what I mean by Christmas songs are the songs that are written in Scripture, such as the Song of Mary. Do you remember it, when the angel came and told Mary that she was going to have a child and, and how she broke out in song, uh, praising God? Well, Mary's song, if you go back and look at it, it's a Jewish song. It's all about the Jewish people. It's all about the fulfillment of the Jews. There is nothing about the rest of the world. It's all about her people. And then when we look at the, the, the songs of, uh, uh, of Zechariah, there's nothing there in Zechariah's story about the, the world, just the, the, the fact that when he tells us that the, this child, his child, is going to set the stage for the one who will come and be the Savior of the Jews. 
And then we think about the angels who broadened the viewpoint and, and, and started to, to get us to think. And what did they say? Peace on earth. Goodwill towards Jews? No. All men. Goodwill towards all men. They begin to open the storyline and say that God wasn't just coming to save and to renew and to restore the Jews as He had done over and over and over again throughout the Old Testament. But now that He was coming in bodily form to die on a cross for all of us, for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. For John reminds us that for God so loved the Jews, right? No, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. We're reminded that, that the songs that we hear oftentimes excluded the Jews, but, but not here. We find that when Simeon shares explicitly, he says that this baby will not only be the glory of all of his own people, Israel, but he will also be the light of the revelation for the Gentiles. He's not just for Israel. He didn't just come for their benefit. He didn't come just to shine light into their world, but he came to shine the light into the world. God into every nation, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue. The Jews could no longer say that their God belonged to them and no one else could have Him. Nor could they say, you have to become a Jew in order to enjoy the benefits of our Messiah. No. Doubtless that would have been what some Jews expected. But Simeon explodes that thought forever when he includes that God had sent a Savior into the world to shine a light into Israel, but also into the world of the Gentiles. And this, we are reminded that He is the Savior of the world. Rich and poor, young or old, black or white, Jew or Gentile, American or Japanese, healthy or handicapped, all people are included in His coming. He didn't come for a small select group of people. He came for the whole wide world. And that's why we sing that little song, red and yellow, black and white. They are all precious in His sight. Well, let me tell you today, church, whatever sin that you're hanging on to, whatever sin that's holding you back this year, the arrival of the Messiah means that you can be forgiven, that you can be set free, that there is no sin that hinders you from coming to Jesus. For Jesus came for you so that you could be set free from all sin. In all of this, Simeon is telling us something crucial. By sending the Son of God to the earth, He's not only fulfilling the promise to the nation of Israel, He is also bringing to the world a Savior for all people everywhere. And for that, it is a great reminder for us that as we give to Lottie Moon 
and, and our international missions offering so important that we make sure that we are supporting our missionaries financially so that where you and I cannot go, where our prayers have already been sent, we make sure that missionaries are going to all the lands, all the nations of all the world. And so it is that we need to be reminded at this time of year, we need to give to international missions so that they will have everything that they need to take the gospel to every group. Because the promise of God is when we have reached every tribe, every tongue, every land, every nation, then He will come and get His people. But thirdly, this morning, I want you to see perhaps how this all ties together. He is the glory of all of Israel, but He is the Savior of the world. But here's where the rubber meets the road. He is the divider of the human race. You know, I hear people all the time say, well, Jesus is all about love. And it was, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And Jesus loved us enough that when we we asked the question, how much did God love us? Jesus stretched out His arms and He died on a cross for us. But in all of that love, we need to be reminded that God has also sent Him to be the divider of all humankind. And here's what I mean by that. And this third and final thing that Simeon says to us about Jesus, he tells us that he will become the great divider of men. He will cause many to fall, and he will cause many to rise. And so it was that Jesus told the story that there are two roads that every man must choose one of. There is the wide road, he said, that, that many there are that follow it, and it leads to destruction. It seems real fun at the time, but it's like walking off the Grand Canyon. There's no coming back. And then there's the narrow way. It's that little path that the donkeys ride up the Grand Canyon, and then it leads to glory. When you get to the end of that trail, you go, what a glorious thing to get off this donkey and back on solid ground. Same concept. For us, the narrow road is simply just reminder that at the end, there is a glorious destination. So what does this mean? The thing is that Simeon says that many will speak against him and many will be speaking against him in hidden thoughts of the heart. And then those thoughts will be revealed in how they treat Jesus. What a thing to say to a tiny baby, to a new mother. Mary, I know you're happy now, but you're going to weep later. Today your heart is filled with joy on this special occasion of, uh, of, of just offering your son up to the Lord. But later it will be filled with great sorrow. Rejoice and enjoy the time that you have today because darkness shall come. Isn't it true that if you and I as parents 
if it were at all possible, every time that our children were sick, any time that our children were, were to, to have a hardship, we would do whatever it took. We would take that suffering from them. We would gladly suffer for our children. For those of us that are grandparents even today, we would say the same for our grandchildren. I've lived my life. I will gladly take their sickness. I will gladly take their pain so that they can experience the fullness of life. Can you imagine Mary that day hearing the words of Simeon cut deep into her heart and into her soul? We would all gladly suffer for our kids if we could take the pain if it were possible. There are two things that Simeon points out here that we cannot miss. First of all, Simeon tells us that he was born to die. Simeon is saying, Mary, they're going to touch this child and you won't be able to do anything about it. They're going to hate him. And they're going to lie about him and they'll spread rumors about you and Joseph. They'll smear his name with malicious lies. And you will have to stand by helplessly, unable to do anything but just watch it all unfold. Down the road, we know the Bible says that it all came about. Eventually, they questioned not only his ancestry, but also his sanity. They snickered and said, he thinks that he is the son of God, but he's just filled with demons. In the end, hatred took full control and they arrested Jesus, put him on trial as a rebellious blasphemer. They beat him within an inch of his life, leaving his skin tattered into ribbons. After the trial, he was condemned to die. In the end, Mary stood by the cross and watched her son die an agonizing and painful, inhumane death. Amidst the stench and the gore of the crucifixion, Mary stood by her son, unable to slow the flow of blood and unable to wipe his brow, unable to hold his hand. It's exactly how Simeon predicted that little boy would grow up to be. When Mary watched her son die, a sword pierced her soul. And that's why today, every year, when I get the cradle out, I cannot help but to get the cross and put it behind it. Because we're reminded that the cradle is the beginning, but the cross is the victory. Jesus came to be born to die. His beginning in the stable, though it's as cute as it can be, is not what God intended for us to focus on. It was just a reminder to get ready for what He had really come to do, to die for me and for you go to the cross so that his blood would be shed 
so that you could have forgiveness of sin. His life would be given as an atonement for your life and for mine. Without the cross, the cradle is simply just another cuddly story. But with the cradle and the cross looming in the background, it's a reminder of how much God loves us and the gift that He's really given to us. For how many of us would be willing to give up our son or our daughter for the likes of some people that we know? None of us. But our God did. The joy of the cradle leads to the agony of the cross. He was born to end up that way. Therefore, we need to be reminded of the last thing that Simeon tells us. There can be no neutrality. Truthfully, my friends, there are only two classes of people. Those who believe and those who don't. Did you notice how Simeon put it? Because of Jesus, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Underline that in your mind. Keep that as a, as a point of focus. With Jesus, there is no neutrality. No one can ever come face to face with Jesus and remain the same. Every time you and I see Jesus, we will either be drawn closer to Him or we will move further away from Him because His light shines in our darkness and we don't want our darkness exposed. That's what Simeon means when he says that Jesus will cause the rising and falling of many. You either go spiritually higher when you meet Jesus or you turn around and you go the other way and you run from Him. It's either up or it's down. It's either heaven or it's hell. We've got to choose a direction in which we are taking, a road in which we are going to walk upon. People rise and fall according to their personal response to Jesus. In this world, there can only be two groups of people. Those who believe in Jesus and are following after Him as the Christ, and those who reject Him and choose to go their own way. There is no middle ground there is no fence to sit upon, even though as Americans today, we would like to think that we're just in the middle. We're just trying to decide. We're, we want to ride the, the wave. We want to ride the fence for a while. It's popular in America to think that we are just waiting to make up our minds. It's popular to call Jesus a good teacher, a good person. A great moral example, and we could go on and on, but Simeon says, you can't do that. When you come to know who Jesus is, when you see Him, when you, you are introduced to Him, you've got to make a decision. The Apostle Paul said, today is the day of salvation. You don't have an opportunity to say, let me go home and ponder the thought. Either you are choosing today to receive and to follow after, or you are choosing to reject Him. 
There is no middle ground. There is no fence to ride. Either he is the Son of God from heaven, or he's not. If he's not, then he's the greatest fraud in all of human history and worthy of our deepest scorn. For if he is not the Son of God, he is either a lunatic or he is a liar. But if he is the Son of God, which, by the way, let me remind you that he is, then that leaves us with only one possible response. We either need to bow down before him and worship him and believe in him and trust him that no matter how crazy this world gets, he has us. And we're in the palm of his hands. Simeon simply reminds us that the only two options that we have regarding Jesus the Christ Either we can join Herod who tried to have him killed and eliminated or we can join the wise men who sought him out to worship and offer them him the gifts that they had brought so far. Listen my friends. Riding the fence is not an option. Because here's the truth. If you're indifferent to Jesus, you've already joined the side. The side of the world today that is trying to get rid of him. Do you know what? The world today is, is simply saying, we're not, we're not saying we reject Jesus. We're not saying he's not somebody. We're not saying that, that, that he's not important. We're just saying that he's not the most important. You see, the world is simply using indifference to cause people to blindly follow them. Satan's greatest trick is to get you to think that Jesus is not the only way. He is not the only answer, but he is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way than him. Simeon reminds us of this truth. We must not be fooled by the indifference and the lies of Satan to cause us to think that we have time to decide. For none of us is promised another breath. None of us is promised another day. This is all we have. We must be ready. This week I'm going to do two funerals. One of a, a well-aged man who loved the Lord with all of his heart. And a young man who struggled. Death is no respecter of person. It doesn't care about your age. We must be ready when it calls. And we must not set, settle for the indifference of this world. But we must follow Jesus. So let me press home the question 
as I close this morning. What is Jesus to you? Notice I didn't ask the question, who is Jesus to you? But what is Jesus to you? Is he life or is he death? Listen, he's either the life in which we hold on to that we know is eternal or it is the death in which is coming which we know because we have rejected him. That's what Simeon is asking. That's what Simeon is saying. The the little baby who is the glory of Israel, who is the light of the world, is also the great divider of human race. You're either on his side or you're on the other side. You either receive or you reject Jesus. No one stays in the middle. The way you respond to Jesus reveals what is truly in your heart. Think about that. The way that you and I respond to Jesus tells us who we are and what you are and what's in your heart. That's not all, my friend. The way you respond to Jesus tells us where you are. But it also tells us where you're going and how you're going to get there. There's only one way to heaven. That's through Jesus. There's only one way to hell, and that's to follow Satan. The choice is ours. Simeon saw the hope of Israel but he also saw the salvation of the world for all the Gentiles. The way that we respond to Jesus tells us where we're going to spend eternity. So what is he this morning to you? Is he your promise of eternal life? Or is he the promise of eternal death because you have not put your faith and trust in? What a question that has to be answered, not by the pastor, not by the congregation, but by every individual. You must answer that question. Whether you're here this morning or whether you're watching online at some other time, you must ask that question and you must answer it for yourself. And my prayer is that he will be life unto you. For those of you that are watching, if you are struggling with this, I ask you to reach out to us. Our information is there on the screen for you to call, to email, to contact us. And we'd love to tell you more about what Jesus has done for us and what he can do for you. So don't hesitate. You can't ride the fence. You've got to make a decision. Please don't make the wrong one. Thank you for worshiping with us today, and may the Lord bless you. As we reach out to you, you reach out to us. For those of you that are left in the room today, I want to just...